You're listening to an ACA podcast. Hi, my name's Lisa Walp and I'm one of the co-curators of the exhibition Ioani Scarce, Missile Park. This conversation is part of a series associated with the exhibition, which is on at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne from the 27th of March until the 14th of June. And then it travels to the Institute of Modern Art in Brisbane from the 17th of July until the 18th of September. The four conversations in this series take a focused look at key ideas and forms in Ioani Scarces, glass, family, architecture and memorials. Reflecting on her masterful use of glass, we hear Ioani in conversation with glass artist Crystal Britcher and Lisa Slade, the Assistant Director at the Art Gallery of South Australia. We also hear from Ioani's long-term collaborators including artist Lisa Radford, who will touch on their ongoing memorialisation project known as Concrete Archives. Architect and writer Lewis Anderson Mokak will be chatting to fellow architects, Edition Office and Mikhail Roderick, who have both worked with Ioani to achieve incredible large-scale projects, including the new commission Missile Park, which gives this exhibition its title. You will hear from me, Lisa Walp, in conversation with National Gallery of Victoria's curator, Hannah Presley, as we speak about the role of family and archives in Ioani's practice. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that names of people who have passed may be mentioned in these conversations. To hear more from ACCA, please subscribe to the ACCA podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and sign up to ACCA's newsletter at acca.melbourne. I'm Ioani Scarce. I'm a Gugathan Nukanu woman from South Australia and I currently live in Melbourne and the artist for Missile Park. I'm Christelle Fletcher. I'm a glass artist and designer from Adelaide, South Australia, um, and I'm also the head of the studio at, um, of the glass studio at Jam Factory in Adelaide. And I'm Lisa Slade and I'm the Assistant Director at the Art Gallery of South Australia here on Ghana Country. I think um, I might just jump into it sort of for people who um, uh, haven't met me before or um, know my relationship with Adelaide because I come from South Australia. I've known these two beautiful women for a long time and I've worked with them for a long time as well. So it's really nice to have a conversation with them today. Yeah, I would love to see you in person, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. This is a great way to start the week, just explaining that we've had a long weekend here in South Australia. Yuani and Bianca haven't, but um, yeah, so it's a kind of, it's a, it's a beautiful way to start the week. Every, every week should start with a conversation between colleagues and friends, a creative conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the dream. Yeah, <laughs> particularly I think after the pandemic because um, I haven't seen I hadn't seen anyone from South Australia for nearly twelve months. I think really, you've you've been really struggling with homesickness, and you know, but also what a productive time you are, for you. I mean, you've had an extraordinary twelve months. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um, yeah, being, I think for me, being s- sort of stuck in one place 
had its benefits, but also like what you say, Lisa, I was really homesick. And because I, I think I took that um, ability to travel often for granted, I think now that I think about it. So it's kind of, I was used to seeing family and actually flying back and forth from South Australia every few weeks and also, um, uh, you know, being able to, you know, like I said, you know, like see people in person, I think, not talk to them over the phone. Even though I like talking on the phone, it's sort of, it's different without, you know, like having a beer or a coffee with people. Um, I even think, I wonder about the idea of home. You know, I, I've always during the time that we've known each other, you've lived in Melbourne for most of that time, but I still think of your home as being mm. here. I mean, I, how does, has that shifted since you've been t- during lockdown? Did that kind of sense of sense of home and sense of self and sense of place shift? Yeah, I think so. Like it was um, because I think, I, you know, like I was used to living in two places, so it was living... Um, living in Melbourne, working in Melbourne, but also uh, living, you know, I guess technically in South Australia as well. So it was, but I had that sort of that yearning for for Adelaide and South Australia a lot more, I think, because I, I couldn't see it. And I think working on Missile Park, I think it was, um, it was, it was um, different, I think, a different way of working. I think like I was, and I, I, at times I got really frustrated. I think that I couldn't um, travel even just to be near the beach in Adelaide, which I used to do quite a lot when I was thinking about work. Um, so that I that was, yeah, made it really quite uh, apparent to me how much I missed South Australia. And, you know, like I still, it is my home, always will be. Um, but Melbourne's my home too for many different reasons as well. So I have, yeah, have that too, yeah. I mean, I've worked with you, Ioani, for in like in, as Jam Factory for got over ten years now. Um, but I do remember you as a tutor for me when I was studying at UniSA, and that was probably where we, you know, first started, uh, you know, our friendship and our professional relationship and. Um, you know, it's it's really exciting for me to see how your work has progressed and it's accumulated in this missile park and, like, all of the stories that are told in there, like, it's a real joy for me to have learnt so much from you but to see it all together in this exhibition. Um, but working with you in, like, the capacity of working alongside you, assisting you in our studio and gaffing for you on your projects, it um it adds so much more to the material, I think, knowing this story that you're building with it. And I find that really valuable and really inspiring as a maker to look past, you know, the utilitarian aspect of the the, the glass making process and really see what you can do with it. Yeah, yeah. And I think um uh yeah, you uh You've been on some major, you know, like a major road trip too when we worked together on um, Thunder Anning Poison as well for Tan Andy. I think that was um, that was really important, you know, uh, to take everyone out to that that site and then work on that. But then also, um, 
I think I, now I'm thinking about some of the works in Missile Park. I think you know, like it's you've worked, you assisted me on um, Weak in Colour but Strong in Blood. That's how far back it was, even before then too. So, um, and then um, the the yams for um, working class man. I called on you for help for that too. So it was. Um, I think you made the plum. You helped me make the plums too for Florian Fanny. Oh, we're going way back to Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, and particularly last year I lent on Crystal a fair bit actually for um, helping me make or well, actually gaffered the bush plums for Missile Park and um, some earlier works for the Tarawara Show Looking Glass. So it's sort of – so that's, I think, yeah, it's for me it's really important to point that out how – close Crystal and I have worked together, I think, yeah. You are, because I haven't seen the show yet, I'm curious, is Missile Park both a work, a, the new work in the show that you made last year as well as being the title for the show? Yeah, yeah. So we thought that it was going to be, um, it was important to call the show this, the name of the, the new commission. So, um, and then when I was thinking about the work itself, it was sort of Missile Park kept coming up because I kept looking at the the trophy park, as I call it, like the open air museum in, in Woomera. So, and it is called the Missile Park. So, um, so that, yeah, that's probably, yeah, the, yeah, the reason for that, I think. So it was, it was, um, it was really great to call it, you know, the show that too. So, such a the, the use of the word park is so kind of absurd, yeah. isn't it? So surreal in a way. If I think about the, if I think about a theme park, which is something that springs to mind if I hear the words missile park. But I guess so. Think about parks as places of um, regeneration, botanical uh, regeneration, and and places of being in nature to think of those missile parks as sites where nature has been thwarted, threatened and in cases kind of eradicated. And I, I was just thinking about language because the thing that struck me from the get-go, and Crystal may not know this, but I, you were the first glass artist I've ever written about because most and you know perhaps if I'd been in Adelaide all of my career I would have written about people working with glass but there's not a strong tradition in New South Wales so I knew a few artists that had kind of worked around the edges but I didn't really know artists that had worked with glass as their chosen material and I was struck like and still am to this day I guess probably almost 10 years ago to think about the the connection between just as Missile Park has these linguistic semiotic resonances the word gathering because I was just like, oh, my God, it's the word you use to work in glass, but it's also the word that you use to think about this idea of women gathering across millennia, hunting, gathering, all of those kind of practices. Can you too, because I think this would be a great opportunity for listeners to hear about gathering glass, can you talk about, for people that, like me, may not have really been that acquainted with the, the art of working with glass, what does it mean? glass. I think Crystal could, I reckon she's good at it. 
we usually we tend to have furnaces full of hundreds of kilos of molten glass, and it sits at a, you know around eleven hundred and twenty or so um, degrees um, Celsius. So it's kind of like a, a honey or a toffee. So gathering glass is putting your pipe into it and doing rotations in the glass, and it it binds to the the head of the pipe, and you can scoop it up like you would um, with a little pot of honey and with a little. Uh, a little stick so yeah gathering it is it is kind of bringing it together and you do multiple gathers depending on the size of the piece that you want um so you can gather you know six or seven times for a really large piece of glass and that's the way you build the material to work with and always doing it with with colleagues with collaborators and or sometimes with kind of support a support team yeah, always. So the, particularly the way that we work at Jam Factory in Adelaide, we, we have a gaffer and assistant um, style. So we're always working pairs or, or at least a, a pair, maybe a team of three or so, depending on the work. Um, and it's interesting to go between those roles, even with working with Ioani, assisting her as she makes her work and then stepping into that gaffing and that responsible role of making the work um, where you you can see your your touch on the work and you can see how even though it looks like a very straightforward you know utilitarian process you can see the the mark of whoever is making the piece Um, and it's it's a it's it's beautiful to actually see that everyone gathers differently yeah and everyone treats the glass differently and has different nuances in the way that they treat it so the final product you can you can almost tell who's who's touched it and Ioani, did that strike you like you know way back, probably fifteen, twenty years ago? Did, did that semiotic kind of resonance just floor you? I mean, I imagine that was a pretty major moment in thinking about glass back then. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, yeah, definitely. And I think I, I, yeah, I liked. For me, it was more so. I think um, the accidental nature of glass as well. Like it's. It was something that um, I didn't want to control too much, I think, and um, and I liked the fact that the the bush food that I make have those little indents. Don't need to be, you know, straightforward. They could have, um, like what Crystal said, like the marker of the mark of the maker. I think, or like it's that, and every yam is different. I think that every piece is not the same. So I kind of liked that. Um, and, you know, for me technically I think compared to others, I for me I, I know how to make my work but I've forgotten how to make larger pieces or, you know, we trained to make tumblers in the first instance. I wouldn't even have an idea of how to do that anymore. Oh, I think you would. <laughs> but it's, um, it's something that. Yeah, glasses. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a very um, so yeah, it's a very uh, moving material. Not you know, in that that's that for that terminology, it means a lot. I think for me, like it's something that um, it's not just molten. It turns into something really beautiful from something that's really hot. So it also strikes me if you go back to the park idea. It feels like you're you're creating a gathering. So you're gathering, but you're creating a gathering of forms because the idea of multiplicity plays out conceptually and materially. But also you're giving back. It's kind of like you're growing 
all this devastated landscape in the case, if I think about the works that were particularly triggering through those trips to Woomera. Was that a kind of conscious thing too, that you were, it's kind of like you're gardening with glass, you know, you're kind and particularly when you think about the irradiation and the way glass was used to anneal and close off that landscape and the way in which the silica turned to glass, really beautiful bundle of linguistic and cultural contradictions where things are being gathered and back in a way to heal. There's something very healing about that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think um, when I, earlier on, when I, I guess I've, towards the end of my uh, arts degree, I think um, I was making, you do it anyway, you make multiple works, pieces, because that's part of the training or part of the, you know, building your skills is that you make many objects that are the same or might look the same. So it's, yeah. So for me, I started accumulating a lot of these bush bananas, particularly, I think, because I was making a lot of them in my third year and my honours year as well, besides other smaller pieces. So, but then when I started layering up on the table in the studio when we would, you know, originally down in Underdale at that campus um, before they moved up to City West, it was sort of I could have shelves of them. So they, for me, they started talking to me in that sense that I could, it didn't matter if... um, you know, I was making one or two. For me, it was, yeah, building an army, I guess. Like it was something like that. Like it was, I like that the yams look, you know, like a landscape together and that the, when they're in, you know, large numbers, particularly with the memorial works as well and the the atomic clouds, um, it was something really fascinating, I think, for me. Mm. What's nice about these multiples is that each piece is it's blown with your own breath, or you know where we become a part of it in that kind of way. And the glass has such amazing qualities for this kind of work, where it can look really molten and manipulated, but be so hard and rigid as well. There's a really nice balance, um, and the permanence of glass, like it doesn't break down for thousands of years. There's a really nice permanence to the material that speaks to your work I think as well and your storytelling with mm. it yeah definitely yeah and I think you know going back to Lisa's comment about the the glass the vitrification of glass like out of Maralinga as well like it was you it's used to house radiation or radioactive material so it's kind of to keep it quiet really so it's interesting how powerful it is and like what you say, Crystal, it's like it's, it's you know, it's thousands of years before it, in, you know, starts to really break down. But then it never does really. So it's cool. Mm. And what about the Missile Park work in the space? I, I kind of get, and I haven't seen anything yet from the show, but I can't wait to see it. But you kind of worked, I feel like you always work site specifically. I was thinking back to, when we did Heartland together and at that point you were looking at, they were like native pears were the forms you were using and they had this beautiful and Crystal and the team were probably involved in this body of work too. They had that wonderful iridescence. There was something happening with colour and light on the surface of those forms. 
And then you you went to the point of kind of breaking them up and kind of breaking the form down. But to me what seemed really important was the spatial. We designed the space together in a way that, remember, we had that kind of wraparound shelf around the gallery angle so that it had the sense a sense of science but not entirely from science or of science. Are you still working in that way? Is that kind of? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and that that actual that work is in um, Missile Park as well. The show that from the work from Heartland. So, um, but I think when um, Max, Lisa, and Liz and I started talking about um, the new commission, and we were looking um, a lot at uh, the main gallery, the largest space I call the Turbine Hall. Like it's um, for for me. Uh, I wanted to respond to that site, I think, and um, think about something uh, on a large scale, obviously, but sort of um, I was interested in pursuing something that was the largest I've ever made, really, I guess, at the, you know, for now anyway, besides in absence um, for the NGV Architecture Commission, but it was something in terms of the inside a gallery was, um, uh, yeah, was a a challenge I think and I, I really like being challenged by the site and how I can inhabit that as well so um so it's sort of like yeah you enter a room but then you enter another room so yeah, yeah. chamber mm. chamber, chamber. Mm. something about this this idea of the spaces of mourning like I want to go back to the gathering word for a minute because you also talk about gathering loss or loss gathering as a way of kind of healing um that the, you know the time is right for gathering a loss that you kind of take that moment to heal and it strikes me that that's another really rich use of that word that speaks to your practice because I feel like that is this healing process this idea of recounting loss and then the way that you use space you break down those chambers I, I think a lot of the Holocaust Museum in Berlin in particular is the chamber within the chamber and the way that you encounter those spaces because each step into an extra space um, insights a kind of shift emotionally, cognitively, psychologically. And I feel I didn't see the NGV Commission, unfortunately. COVID got in the way of that one too, but it strikes me that that way of working is has just become so much part of your signature now. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think yeah, um, because I when I was I, I guess when I first started working with glass, it was always the glass would be I, you know I always liked the idea of containment or that sort of research, but it's that. But then use in other materials as well, like um, like one of the earlier works from art school. There's that's you know a suitcase called the day we went away in in um, in the exhibition. That was probably one of the really early, early works that made me think about how I could use other materials and and use something that encases the glass rather than the other way around. So I think um, that yeah. So it's it's all. I think I guess it's always sort of been around, maybe, but subconsciously maybe making it that way, but not really thinking about it. I think sometimes. For me, I'm very much, you know, embedded in the work. I don't get a chance to step back and have a look at how it's coming together because I feel like it's 
um, it, it's occurring often um, without my control really to going back to that. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's, um, yeah, bringing together of other materials has always been really fascinating to me, I think, that and glass allows that too, I think, like it, you know. Um, yeah, the containment within the beakers, but even the, I hadn't thought about that with the suitcase and then even to the dead house, the work that you made for the biennial last year, you know, the containment within that um, architecture of loss. I mean, there is nothing more, that, that is a morning space kind of par excellence. So this was again kind of contained within that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think also going back to that idea of gathering as well, it's sort of like, I, you know, for me, going back to, you know, um, uh, working with people like Crystal as well, it's I gather, I gather people physically. <laughs> so, you know, Crystal, for me, you know, Crystal helped make, she made the bush bananas for In the Dead House as well um, and, you know, worked with, um uh, two other assistants as well. So it's, you know, and I wasn't on site, unfortunately, for, for the fabrication of, of those bananas. I think I'd, I'd fly in and see them and then fly out. So, um, but like there's, I like to s surround myself with um, glass makers or, you know, artists in their own right who are very, very much in tune to the story of the work as well well having the opportunity to go to Maralinga um with the associates at Jam Factory and us as staff was an incredible experience to to have more of an understanding of what you're making while you're in the studio you know and to really understand the story that's behind the work that's being produced it's incredibly valuable having those experiences and you know gathering together with you and hearing those stories that we none of us had heard of before and these histories that aren't readily available for people to learn and experience, that that's what's really valuable about the work in Missile Park and what you're doing is telling stories that we wouldn't otherwise hear. Yeah. Absolutely. Crystal, what was it like, the mortuary or the dead house? I mean, those forms, for a start, they were really such ambitious forms, weren't they, physically? They're pretty enormous. Yeah, they're quite big for... Some for the multiples that we make for Yuani, for sure. Um, and yet it was incredibly different seeing it from the studio to that site. And I didn't even realise there was a dead house in Botanic Gardens and, you know, not, not even knowing the local history of that space was eye-opening for me as well. Um, you know, there's so many little stories that come along with, that I learned from in with working with Yuani. Um, but the that alabaster white glass and that clear glass in that space with those, you know, that steel bench and that crazy small room that awful things happened in was just, it really made it incredibly powerful. I think you have such a gift in that kind of deadly beauty. I mean, I just, there's something so beautiful about the work and, and yet there's you know usually we'll think about the William Ramsey Smith story underpinning the dead house they're chilling histories and I don't know I mean that must be just such the weight of that the metaphysical weight of that on you must be really significant and I think I, I think what Crystal's just said about going to Maralinga and 
Woomera, you know, Woomera being mid last century, had more missiles and weapons than anywhere else in the world. Cape Canaveral was kind of the missile centre of the universe. That that you expose these things that are just that are right as you said, Crystal. You you've been in the botanic gardens so many times, but you don't. These things are right there. That kind of revealing that you do. It's it is really it's such a gift. It's a gift that comes with responsibility for its recipient or for its bearer. The gift. Of and the horror in that knowledge but it's such a gift yeah oh thank you yeah yeah but I think I, I you know wouldn't be able to make work if I didn't have really good people around me as well like it's um because and yeah because it can be it can be pretty tough and you know like I'm you know reading stories about the weirdo in that Ramsey Smith guy, like he was just, there was something seriously wrong with that man and it was, I like to be able to create a work that is calling him out for it because he technically wasn't really reprimanded. He was, but he wasn't. And then when you read, you know, the information about when he died and they found over 130 human skulls in his house in Parkville and, um, yeah, and it's like this is only in the 1930s, I think, that they, you know, when they found them. So imagine what else he was doing. So it's kind of, um, yeah, so, but, yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, um, it's been, yeah, when I remember even just working on that that work with Crystal, I'd send her <laughs> weird photos of anatomical drawings and, you know, just flay, just cut them open and be as rough as possible. So I I think I'm really grateful for Crystal in that because I, you know, like I just like, you know, just get those shears and cut it open. So it's... Yeah, it's, a, it's such an a, aggressive way to attack a piece of glass as well, just cut, shearing through it and cutting through that vessel. It felt... It felt Odd to do that because you're usually so precious and want to make it, you know, just right and to be so free and to to manipulate it and I guess against its natural will of being a whole vessel, you know, it kind of it, it really and have, hearing those stories from you, Yuani, I, I thought about that a lot while I made it too. To think of what happened to those bodies in that space, you know, and mimicking that tearing open of the chest of a cat cadaver sorry um and then tearing the chest open of a, a vessel You're right it must have been kind of shocking in the glass shop because the break is the enemy of the process of kind of annealing and bringing making things whole and smoothing things over it's the it's the enemy of gathering in a way isn't it mm. yeah so it did feel aggressive for sure yeah and were people with the other glasses like what are you doing? What? <laughs> now, as soon as I know it's for Yuani, <laughs> she's up, she's up, she's up, she's up what she's doing. That's so great. Hey, um, I was just thinking about the idea of the body because that came through very powerfully in in the work for the dead house. And I was thinking about the first work that I displayed here at AGSA was back in 2011 and it was the work called What They Wanted. I love it. Is mm. that right? You only what they want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Which was made, 
I think it was what made back in like 2007. But it's, it's a beautiful work because it's such a transition work in my mind because the black glass forms are obviously humanoid. They're obviously human bodies. And yet they're kind of in the state of becoming, I think, the yams or the, the bush fruit. They're kind of coming. And I, I'm curious about that and how you transitioned from the distinctly figurative derived from the human body into these, I think, powerful metaphoric forms, really, that are also connected with the long history of sustenance and understanding the environment from deep, deep time, essentially, for Aboriginal people. Yeah, I think um, well, that, that work too was the first time I'd worked with colour. So um, I'd been working quite a lot with um, clear glass and sandblasting them and, and things like that, you know. Also at, also because I didn't have a lot of money when I finished art school too, so it was sort of like you work within your means, but it's sort of this, uh, again, an opportunity came up to make a new work um, for uh, a solo show in Adelaide and I wanted to create something that was sort of a flow on from the research that I'd undertaken for in my honours year. So um, so it was thinking, I think I was thinking quite literally, like literal in that literal sense of what bodies would look like hanging from nooses. So, um, but yeah, from a distance, like people would say they look like birds, but also look like something else. So that's when I, and yeah, like they do, I think look, like large yams from a distance as well. So, um, so I that's when I think yeah I started think yeah working with the yam in terms of uh, the deceased or corpses and things like that because not long after that work was made, um, I was overseas researching memorials and and. Uh, in Berlin and and came back and started making those burial grounds actually so that refer to the you know history of genocide in Australia but also that lack of acknowledgement so it was um the yams particularly uh yeah were were I think an important turning point I think and because I can you can make them quite quickly too um I think Crystal's got the record in terms of, yeah, I can make them fast, but um, Chris, Crystal and and Drew are like, um, they're like, they're, yeah, they're super, super quick. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a really nice um, connection with language and talking about the yams as representations of bodies and the language of making in the hot shop. And like we use the word neck and shoulder in describing a piece as we make it. And, you know, you can put a foot on a vessel, there's, you know, we were, it's very much a form, a body in the process as well, and I think that's just a really nice connection to the process. There's something so kind of evidentially powerful, though, about also just capturing this form that, that white Australians had overlooked or were ignorant of as a vital food source, which clearly when the atomic testing happened at Maralinga and elsewhere across the continent, those food sources were immediately lost. You know, they were immediately petrified or vitrified. They were, they were no longer. So there's the act of that memorial too. So the poly, 
the polyvalence of the bodies and the fact that you do use that language in the glass shop, it just, it was, it's so the, the material for you, Yuani. It's that perfect, it's like the total eclipse of the conceptual and the material where the very language used in the hot shop is the language that's used on country, you know. It's just, it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like even just as a glass blower, it's, it's such, it's really, you know, it, you have to use the, all your body as well. Like, you know, that's why it's interesting when we talk about shoulders and necks and things and foots and hair, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's very much a, yeah, a part of uh, the extension of the body, I think. Yeah, so it's sort of that's why I say when I make the bush food out of glass, it's an extension of myself, really. So and what Crystal was saying earlier about using your breath, you know, you give these pieces life, really. They come, they've got to come from somewhere, you know. Um, you know, glass needs a bit of like, yeah, a bit of that sort of um, life source, I think, from from its maker, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very physical process, and I think that's one thing that really drew me to it was how how much it takes from you physically to make a piece. Like you are manipulating it, and you you're kind of when you're first learning, it's an incredible challenge to understand how it moves and the nuances of that molten hot material. That if you make one wrong step, you know you've you've bent yourself. So it, it's a it's a very long-term relationship when you're working with glass, in my opinion, that um, you're really investing in it when you're doing it. And I think you're giving your, yourself to it, to learn it. And I think you build a really strong connection. And a lot of the times when we're teaching our associates, we just say, you've got to learn with your hands. you just got to feel it and like get that muscle memory so you have such a natural connection to the material as you develop your skills in it. And I think that's another really nice connection from yourself to the, the piece that you are you understand the material and you can make something almost a second nature when you get into that zone of it love that how are uh, victorian audiences melbourne audiences curious about glass and the way that you've made that work is there something i don't imagine that aka have had a, an exhibition dedicated to the art of glass before either. So, I mean, that's, that must be interesting to see how people are responding. Having said that, contemporary art knows no material limits, so, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's been, it's the, um, Miss Park has been getting a really good response. I think there's, you know, what I really love is that there's a lot of school kids, school groups coming through as well. So, um, and they, from my understanding, they booked way ahead of time when it was announced that Missile Park was happening. So, um, so that's you know that's really, yeah, really um, amazing to hear that for me, you know, for me and you know particularly. And um, I was on site at Acker on Friday last week, um, talking to someone, and um, there were yeah, I met was you know had the you know had the um, lovely experience of meeting one of those school groups too, you know, a school from Caulfield. So it was something really, I think I, I really like that. I like, I like hearing those, those types of stories too. 
that um, how people see the sh- the exhibition and how they see glass as well. Mm. Well, there'd be lots of new stories in there for those students. I mean, we've been talking recently about how the atomic testing is something that broader Australia um, no longer knows about. And I say no longer because I think there's a conscious amnesia in this country, but also the Australians who were directly involved are getting on in years now. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's important to continue that conversation or continue to uncover those new stories, I think, too, because um, I was only talking to someone about it recently that a lot of the older uh, Aboriginal people from South Australia who were affected by those tests, they're, you know, they're getting, they're getting older and it's sort of like we rely a lot on oral history. So it's sort of once they're gone, that story's gone or their story's gone. I think that talking through time is something that your work does so beautifully and, and we saw that with the biennial work. We've certainly seen it with, we saw it with the, the other work that we have in our collection, which is the work where you've used the idea of kind of numbering the years or, or counting time, if you like. So that's that's the work where you've literally captured the years since invasion by creating a glass yam for each of them. Um, that's Burial Ground. The sister work to Burial Ground is in Missile Park, the work that went to Venice, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, the blood on the wattle. Um, that was, um, and that's, that's a, you know, a direct story to South Australia and the massacre at Elliston in 1849. So it was, um, it was good. Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, a good time to make that work, I think, then because um, the massacres in South Australia are very, um, you know, uh, you know, are very hidden, I think, and not documented and um, and often not documented because police were involved. So it was sort of um, whatever they called themselves back then. So it's kind of um, I think it was something really uh, important to make, I think, because um, that massacre was big and it's, uh, as much as they like to say that they, you know, only a small amount of people were thrown off those cliffs, it was. There's always so much more, I think, and um, and I think particularly with that with that coffin work with that that memorial piece, it was important that 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 work was uh, raised off the ground or raised off the plinth as it is in um, in the gallery at Acker, like it was something that. Um, you know, shadow play is really important too, and I think um, I think majority of my work has their own shadows. I think the glass, it regardless of whether it's transparent or not, or has color, like it always, yeah, light plays a lot, um, plays a you know important role in that. I think, yeah. And that work, I, I love the kind of the the irony, I suppose, or the symmetry. I'm not sure of that work also going, being held in Palazzo Vembo along the canal in Venice, you know, so the idea of sending glass to Venice and glass in Venice has long been associated with with the elite, with the idea of um, particularly the idea of pleasure and luxury. So to kind of subvert that through that particular work, um, it was a powerful, 
return fire, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And Crystal was there too. It was an incredible exhibition. Seeing your work in, in such a space of like a beautiful space in Venice was was unreal. It was it was beautiful. But it is an interesting thing to to have uh, sculptural glass in a in a place like Venice, where it is you know one of the the meccas of glass blowing, you know internationally. It's it's great to see such different work, you know, away from that luxury utilitarian or decorative kind of thing, you know, that really adds so much more value to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Seeing that in the show too, because it's gonna speak differently with all of those other works around it too, Yuani. That's a thing. We're all kind of talking to each other. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I think um it's yeah. They all yeah, they're all having their conversations, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for having this conversation, ladies. Oh, absolutely. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, miss you.